Hey, welcome to episode 60 of the Thoughtcast Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from northern Minnesota. And today I'm joined by three individuals to talk about a series. Yes, a television series from Cartoon Network, Over the Garden Wall. And here to help me break down some thoughts about Over the Garden Wall, uh, we have my brother Dawson, also coming in from Georgia, Jody Pulaski, and Hannah Lee Smart coming in from also Minnesota. Okay, so we got three Minnesotans and one Georgian. <laughs> Same show. She's a peach. Hey yeah. <laughs> Georgia, you you lucky holdout, you. All right. Um, for some reason, uh, my phone is malfunctioning. And let's just let's... call the text. <laughs> it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> no, but my Siri is dancing on me. She thinks I'm trying to. Oh my gosh, and she's even talking, even though I told my phone to shut up. <laughs> okay, well, uh, hopefully that'll only happen about 13 dozen more times on the show. Yeah, maybe Siri's gonna be our new co-host. She's hopping in on the conversation about Over the Garden Wall. I love Over the Garden Wall. I do too. <laughs> she better have some profound wow. insight or else she's fired. Okay, um, let's just go around in a circle and uh, give our little brief overviews on, you know, what is over the garden wall. I, I don't even know who suggested this show. I feel like it was maybe you, Jody, or Hannah. I, maybe it was Dawson. Not to take credit, but I'll take credit. I did suggest it because it was recommended. I suggested it before I watched it. It was recommended to me by some friends because uh, I was looking for... I said, hey, friends, you like animation. One of my friends is an animator. And I said, are there any good Halloween animated films or series? And they both said, over the garden wall. And finally watched it. And I understand why they recommended it. It's a perfect show. And I love it. And it's a story about two children on a journey through a crazy land. Yeah, it's a bit of an enigma. I think maybe the first thing from Cartoon Network that we're discussing here, definitely an appropriate subject. Uh, even though it is post-Halloween, however, the show did air, I believe, in November of 2014. Third through the 7th, I think. Okay, all in one swath. Um, uh, so, Jody, what, what did you think? Oh, I absolutely love this miniseries. Uh, I think it's perfect just the way it is. I love how it's one short season that goes through different seasons fall into winter following these two brothers um i kind of knew i was gonna like it right off the bat i'm not a huge cartoon network person but there was a show called the marvelous misadventures of flapjack that patrick McHale worked on um, that i really really liked following his kind of oddball adventures that he had in his world so i knew going into it that i would like this and my gut was right, and I liked it, and I love it, and I, I'm, I'm with Dawson. I think it's a perfect show, and it's perfect for fall. What's you, Hannah? Um, I thought the characters are pretty relatable. It's not my favorite um, animation style, but I thought it was really cool and very intricately done. I think it had lots of like symbolism that I probably missed, but I think it's almost like grim but it has like very human-like and light tendencies. 
So it's kind mm. of a good mix. Yeah. It, um, I think this was the same year. No. Uh, the year before Stranger Things came out? Uh, Stranger Things. Was that 2015? 2015. Uh, that sounds right. Um, yeah, I, I did not know about this series before you brought it up, Dawson. I didn't either. I, I mean, it's an iconic-looking image of you know these two boys one of them's holding a frog you know one of them's wearing like a a gnome outfit um and and then we do learn eventually in the show that it is supposed to be like an explicitly um gnome like costume that he's wearing right um and then the other kid has a, a pot on his head a teapot or tea kettle uh <laughs> it's it's bizarre it's very i don't know adventure time-esque you got that sort of um pendleton ward just almost anarchic cartoon network style you get from a lot of modern very almost subversive even postmodern, you could say animation that's popular nowadays that's done in that flash style that channel frederator style um and I, uh, yeah, I'm not too familiar with this type of animation. You know, Hannah, you mentioned it's not your favorite sort of aesthetic for animation. However, this, this uh, show, even if you don't really like a lot of that current day, very clean, very polished sort of flash cell shaded animation, um, I, um, you know, this does a lot of work to sort of um, really harken back to the age of analog uh, cell animation, uh, much like you know the 30s and 40s, Max Fleischer cartoons, for example, or even Hayao Miyazaki. I got vibes from that quite a bit with this. Um, but yeah, to, to, to wrap up this point, um, I know the art director on the show, I believe his name is Nick Cross, uh, mentioned that they did have a bit more leniency with this show considering it was a 10-part miniseries only about an hour and 15 minutes long i'm seeing as a total runtime uh so basically a feature film and that meant that the schedule that they had to deal with wasn't quite as frantic as if it were like a full order of 20 episodes in a season you know in a single season um he said that they were really hitting their crunch time at the end of the show but, you know, that, that's because they were taking some extra time just really polishing up the details to make this miniseries a little extra special. Yeah, no, I mean, I would just echo all the things you said. Uh, something I really like about this show with this miniseries is they hold so many of the, like, cards close to their chest from beginning to end. So you feel like you're kind of constantly discovering the unknown along with these two brothers, which I just think is really fun and it's refreshing. Not that a lot of animated things are predictable, but this one is definitely geared towards more of a mature audience. So the plot line's a little more, I don't know, complicated and intricate, but you get to see elements of the end at the beginning. Cause I've seen the series twice and definitely the second time you, you can appreciate that a lot more because things stand out to you that the creators did uh, throughout the plot to keep it one really interesting story. Yeah, I, I kind of struggle with the approach to doing like an animated series on the Thodcast because it's a lot easier to sort of digest a single feature film 
and kind of break that down over the course of a single episode, you know, this podcast. But, you know, this is basically the length of a feature film. So we have that advantage, but it would be fun to kind of explore some other uh, television you know, moving forward. And I mean, we can always just sort of distill certain elements of you know, any similar television series, you know, without having to really focus on uh, minutia. Um, but I think we'll get into a little bit of minutia here uh, because we, we have a little bit of time. Um, Dawson, do you, do you want to give just a basic premise to the show um and we'll be going into some <laughs> <No>. pretty but <laughs> we'll be doing some spoilers I, I want hannah or jody to do it um because so jody when did you first watch the show and and hannah how about you too? Uh, the first time i watched this series was maybe two or three years ago it was the same thing where a friend had suggested it to me and i kind of just played it in the background and i had no idea really what was going on but i liked the whimsical songs and like the fish fishing and just kind of the overall feel of it. And then at the end, it kind of clicked to me that there was a depth to it that I wasn't really grasping my first time shallowly watching it. So this time going into it, knowing what the end is, I, I looked a lot more like Hannah said for symbolism and, and I mean, this plot, the souls of children turning into wood and, the woodsman trying to light his lantern because it's his daughter's soul. It's a really complex and cool storyline. So the answer is I saw it three years ago and I saw it this week. Yeah, I just watched it for the first time and like I'm still confused. So like there's a lot of things I don't understand, I think. What a, what a, oh, sorry. I did not mean, were you still going? No, that's okay. Just like the ending seemed like not like abrupt, but almost like it could be interpreted like so many ways, I guess. I love I'm just like, wait, what line. am I supposed to think? Because I'm thinking like, uh, like enough things to make myself confused. Yeah, I mean, same. By the end, I, I yeah. had no, I had no conclusive thoughts, and then the narrator helped me out by saying, "And the ending was satisfying for everybody. Goodbye." And I, yeah, that's I'm like what? <laughs> my favorite final line ever of all time because they knew exactly what they'd just done to their audience. Um, what I could, what I could say in terms of an overview is that this story is very much a fable, fairy tale, abstract. It's the journey through Oz. It's the Pilgrim's Progress. It's a character who. It's characters who are quite human on a journey that is linear and yet n almost in it's not like real life at all mm -hmm. except for when it is um yeah. there are locations and characters that they meet that teach them lessons or else just bizarre things happen that feel emotionally significant but not necessarily logically um, coherent and yeah. that's I love those stories uh, with all of my heart and I think Jody you said something about um, it's for more mature audiences and I would absolutely agree with that I think I would have loved this as a child not like a really young child but I think like the younger brother Greg who's like a very young child um, watching this uh, I wouldn't have any problem with it I would have understood everything, not in a, not in a like logical intellectual way, but on, on an emotional, 
oh yeah, they're meeting the wish, they're meet- the witch, the fish person, the woodsman, like every character in every situation would have just delighted me. Um, and I don't think I would have questioned that none of it made any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was cool with the idea that it would just linger in this sort of dreamscape, but eventually they did tie it into a sort of literal empirical reality uh, and, and that was kind of refreshing in itself because it sort of assuaged any fears of this being sort of a nonsensical abstract piece along the lines of like a, an adventure time. And I'm not meaning to like disparage that show. I've, I've actually never watched. Well, I, I think I've seen a bit of adventure time and it's very well written. Um, but to me, it just seems a little bit too maybe off the reservation stylistically and just, you know, it, um, it's not so much my cup of tea. I'd like a little more groundedness in, in my animation. Um, but is anyone here? Cause, uh, the creator of this show, Patrick McHale helped develop adventure time. And, uh, he was a writer for a long time on that show. And I guess that's just the most, uh, prominent reference point that I can think of. Uh, I wanted to comment on what Hannah said about the art style not being her favorite um, because when I first saw images from this, I immediately thought, oh, this must have something to do with the people who made Adventure Time and Gravity Falls. It just very much was that style. Neither of which are shows I've ever seen, but have heard only good things about. Um, But then this show, I was actually, I wasn't convinced it wasn't hand-drawn animation. I thought maybe this show, they wanted to do the Adventure Time, Gravity Falls, wibbly-wobbly art style, but then ground it in a more traditional uh, way. But they they could have fooled me just by making the whole thing sepia tone. I I think this, yeah. Well, I think this is traditionally animated like an avatar the last airbender or something you know it's just in that adventure time sort of it looked like hand-drawn flash animation mm-hmm. which was trippy to me but absolutely delightful i don't know if it was hand-drawn i maybe any of you maybe some of you do yeah like if i didn't know it was made in 2014 i would have literally thought it was made in like 1992 mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. like huh? yeah it had, it had a grain but of course that could have also just been the art direction because the whole show has a tone of it's well, almost like a silent film, but not silent. Um, the way the show opens with the, the screens, with the, uh, f- the really detailed frames, art deco style. And then there's a, there's a very much a folky bluesy soulful, um, like nine. 90- it, it's, it was very timeless. I mean, it was absolutely timeless uh, because it felt like anything from the brothers Grimm to, uh, um, the 1920s. Like, I mean, there's scenes where people are wearing bonnets and aprons and uh, Edwardian or um, Jane Austen era clothing. And then they're on a riverboat playing trom- you know, trombones and wearing boater hats and stuff. I mean, every, every like nostalgic classical era of Western civilization sort of had a home here. And then there was stuff that was completely off the wall entirely and, and pure fantasy. Um, Did any of you watch this with anyone else? Any younger people around? I tried to watch some of this with my sister, but I do think the weirdness could be somewhat of an acquired taste. Like, granted, we all kind of liked it, 
but there are other people who see things like that and it's kind of just like a turnoff because of how weird it is especially my sister didn't like how I think she watched the first three episodes with me but I think almost every episode is almost like a different world like they're obviously like Dawson said they're traveling through this journey and you know you go from the pumpkin patch village to the schoolhouse theme and you know and and for her it just wasn't working whereas for me I was getting kind of like odyssey vibes from it like they're I mean obviously I'm not going to compare over the garden wall to the odyssey but you know I think you kind of can I really think every chapter is kind of its own story and I, I just think for us, it worked really well, but for my sister, it didn't. And that's the only person I tried to watch with this this time. Oh, absolutely. There's people out there to go, this makes no sense and I don't like it. And fair enough. <laughs> well, I think it's directly influenced by the the Dante comedies um, because of the character that's another Beatrice. Program. Yeah, story. Mm-hmm. So it definitely has a strong connection to classical literature um, and then, yeah, it's a very much gothic take on the horror genre, but with a, enough of a cuteness factor to, you know, be a f- kid friendly. Um, and I do think it's sort of one of those shows that it gets better as you go along, which I guess you could say about almost any series. But if you were just to watch the first episode or the second episode, you might think, well, this is like, okay. But it's not until they really get going and you sort of have a chance to develop like, who the witch Adelaide is and, and Beatrice's complex, I mean, character and that she has her own goals and she's her own like person as well, that it, it starts to really become intriguing. And I, I think when you get to that ending of what was the unknown and where did they go when they were over the garden wall, that like kind of hooks you because I personally, I, I wonder like what happens like when you're gone, what happens when people are, you know, dead for five minutes and come back to life like where do they go and i see as the unknown as being that that space that in-between world kind of thing Mm. i don't know if that's what you guys took out of it like you guys i don't know if we're on the same page of what the unknown is but in my mind they were kind of dead right so that was the one thing that i did go into the show with was when my friends recommended it they said yeah it's a really great kids cartoon about death (laughs) <laughs> and helping kids cope with death. And I was and I was like, oh, really? I mean, that sounded really intriguing. But I hated knowing that um, from the, I wish I had no preconceived notions about what it was about because the whole time I was thinking, oh yeah, they're dead or one of them's dead. And they're in the, oh. they're basically in like some purgatory type state. Um, and yeah. then they, they're not dead. Is that yeah. a spoiler? Can I, or, or well, I, the entire not? series. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, <laughs> spoiler alert it's a near-death experience only mostly dead <laughs> i feel like this one's obscure enough to know that like people might not click on it if they didn't already watch this show they'd be like what that's a good point but we still want them to click no matter what <laughs> <laughs> yeah keep clicking and keep some clicking. people might think it's more of like a dream state you know but they at the end i think is it the very last episode where they're in an ambulance? Like, aren't they at some point yeah. in an ambulance with all yeah. of this? I kind of thought it was like they got knocked out or something. Like, like the, I don't think they're dead. No, they, they survive. No, they're, well, it, That's, yeah. Like, I never thought they were dead. It's kind of like, um, there was, okay, this is so annoying to say, but there's that new Lady Gaga music video where she gets, like, knocked out in the accident. I don't remember it, but 
she essentially like almost like ascends and then like comes back to life so like almost like she was like resuscitated and like that's kind of what I got Mm. from this Mm. but also I guess I didn't think that deep into it because I just thought oh it's a kid's show like they're alive it it would have hurt I probably would have like ball my eyes out if at the end it was revealed that the younger brother Greg had in fact died um I think it's more like imaginative than like dead yeah absolutely I and absolutely I I think you're 100% correct about that but they definitely toyed with the idea that the older brother's problems had led him into a situation that his younger brother's innocence was trying to fix and that the older brother who should have been responsible and should have been a leader oh ended up killing his own brother basically um but that the younger brother was so selfless um that he would have tried to help the other the older brother no matter what and that in the dream world was willing to make some kind of ultimate sacrifice um and in the context of the show did make a well in the dream world he did make a sort of ultimate sacrifice and the brother gets really emotional about that and if he had woken up and his brother was dead i mean i would have lost my mind but Mm -hmm. They, they spare me. They spare us that. And they are both rushed to the hospital and they're both <laughs> revived, which is why I think the, the, uh, the narrator says, and everyone was satisfied with the ending because I bet there were a lot of people who went, what? They should have been dead or one of them should have been dead, you know? He had to tell you that you're happy with the ending. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that the creators did go back and forth about it. I mean, they're artists and what's more like artistic than like actually having them die at the end you know like that would be a very memorable I mean it already is a memorable show but putting death at the end of it would really make it stand out and I mean I think they they get pretty close to toying with that when when to me it's so painful with the woodsman who's trying to keep the soul of his daughter alive in his lantern that he's going out and like committing his life to fueling this this lantern unbeknownst to him that I guess the trees are the souls of other children but like that's already like really close to like as dark as you can get in my opinion yeah i i i wondered i entertained the idea that this show takes place within the bloodborne universe i i don't you none of you have probably oh, played that game is that but a bethesda game or no No, it's a uh, from software dark souls game oh, okay um, but it takes place in this nightmare gothic world and some and you play a character who wears a costume that's almost identical to the woodsman's and you slay like werewolves and it's mm. really trippy so the show looked and felt a lot the same and the oh, conflict said- surrounding the brothers as you describe it really gave me you know equivalent exchange you know it's it's uh the oh edward and elric from yeah uh full metal Metal alchemist Alchemist. yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. um i'm gonna think of another example but sorry yeah i was just wondering as philip and philip and dawson i mean they're brothers i think we've said that yeah every episode but did you guys feel i mean because are you guys the two boys in your family right like you're the brothers of the family Yep. Need the boys. Do you guys have any type of, you know, extra warm feelings to these two? I mean, they're half brothers and obviously their personalities are very dynamic from the like very painfully aware older brother to the like very optimistic younger brother. But like, did you guys feel anything towards this like brother dynamic throughout the show? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a somewhat more exaggerated version of i think the the dynamic between the two of us uh we aren't half siblings certainly but um 
the the more i'm i'm definitely probably the more cynical of the two or at least i was you know growing up in the dawson you had the the, the much more artistic sensibility you know what, but you the say? world beat that out of me so don't worry <laughs> that's um, not true um, I, I don't. I, I don't know. Oh, sorry. I think I had more of the same kind of neuroses that Wirt has. Um, his character is definitely a very palpable character to me. Brilliantly voiced, of course, by Elijah Wood. Um, yeah, yeah cer- lends a certain sense of gravitas to the character. He's he's maybe supposed to be what thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, maybe um, old enough to be like you know voiced by someone who's gone through puberty already but um his, yeah. the the younger brother is actually voiced by a young boy uh gregory uh is voiced by colin dean excellent work chaps uh, he's been in krampus uh the oh. loud house yeah he did really well i mean it, it's sort of the stereotypical annoying character that you could find in a show like this um but even though they they had a few moments of like, oh, this is sort of a tropey, random thing that a kid would do, uh, it all it all really worked for me. Yeah, I would say in, in answer to your question about relating, um, the the relating to them as brothers, uh, I mean to a, to an extent, but more so just to the fact that the older brother was he represented world weariness and self-consciousness and a sense of despair whereas the younger brother represented childhood innocence and joy so where the brother saw confusion and uncertainty and fear the younger brother saw opportunity and fun and creativity and um a certain amount of fearlessness um so just uh, constantly comparing the two and relating as an adult uh, more to um wirt the older brother, but wishing so much that I was more like uh, Greg, the younger one, just <laughs> audacious but, and gregarious. And, and even at one point, uh, Greg assumes responsibility over the entire expedition because Wirt's just, he's given up. Throws yeah, up I, I love that. <laughs> and Greg, he's just always so naive throughout. Like he doesn't even blink an eye. He's like, well, then I'll, I'll do it. I'll be the leader. Yeah. He's <laughs> just so... Uh, innocent Uh, um so this beatrice character that they meet pretty early on uh she's a bird and what is her who who's she what's what's the deal there so i think like hannah loved beatrice the most like i'll let her talk about it so actually i'm gonna stop talking hannah you can talk about beatrice okay i just loved how like cynical she was and she kind of like led their way but like didn't let them know that she like um was like their BFF, but she totally was. Um, I just think like, do you want me to tell like her little story? Yeah. So like she like threw a rock at a, a bird and then like ran off. And then the witch was like, uh-uh. And then now she's a bird. <laughs> she kind of was like the ultimate scammer, which is sort of fun too. Like you're like, oh, she is their bestie at the beginning and the end. But for a split second, you're like, what the heck? Like, she's literally leading them to their demise to be, like, servants of Adelaide. Like, this makes no sense. But I agree. Like, I like that she's a little bit complex. And like you said, she's not just, like, this stupid little bird being like, oh, hello, follow the breadcrumbs. Like, she definitely has 
her backstory and like her motives. And I think that's, that's cool. Cause you would never suspect a blue What's her, what's her goal again? Um, to like make her family humans. Cause, cause they, like, they all turn into birds. Yeah, I think so. And I think she needs essentially like a pair of scissors to like, yeah. So like the witch said, like, if you like get, if I give you these scissors, like they're like good to go, like you're not going to be birds. And yeah. she's like, okay. I also love that she is definitely, to me at least, like the cutest character in the show. Mm-hmm. But she has the power to like really like screw everyone over, mm-hmm. which I just live for that. The unexpected, almost like villainous nature. She's like, um, if you guys watch the show Recess when you were little, the girl with the orange hat, that is who I think of when I think of her. I I saw the movie Recess and I love all yeah those kids. Her name is Spinelli and she's wild. <laughs> yeah, the Italian chick. Yeah, like that is who Beatrice is to me, like Spinelli the bird. Um, I want to talk about those scissors, and I want to know your thoughts about those scissors because I have some thoughts about those scissors. Yeah, how do those scissors like cure? What are your thoughts about the well, scissors? Yeah, the witch said, here, if you take these magical scissors and cut your wings off, you'll turn into humans. And so I wondered, is she telling the truth or will you just cut your wings off and be wingless birds forever? Um, I, I don't know. They never, they never. Well, there's that ending epilogue, you know, the, the very last. Where they do turn back. Yeah. But they don't. Yeah. Okay. So he gives, he does give the scissors to her and then we do see them as human again. So it must have worked. Okay, well, never mind. That ending musical number, though, it's like, it's weird. It's very abstract. And it's all through this, like, tunneled view. Like, the the screen is heavily, like, vignetted around the edges, almost as if it's just like a vision that you're hallucinating through just this tunnel. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was meant to be just an illusion. Speaking of musical numbers, this was my favorite animated musical of all time. Really? No, it wasn't. Probably not, but I mean, in terms of... The songs? What? It's a much different uh, Into the Unknown than we're used to. Into the... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Beast has his little operatic moments. That's to be appreciated. But what song... Like, you just liked uh, how they would break out into songs? Yes. Is that what you thought was yeah. fun? Every, every aspect of the execution of the music in this series, I loved 100%. Just from the style of the music to when it was implemented, when they would start singing, what they would sing about. And um, there was a, a quality to the sound of the music that was so warm and so rich like the whole the animation style uh, there's a comment on youtube that has very upvoted that says this show invented a new genre of music autumn hmm. and i relate to that i i completely think that's accurate and well the whole show feels like autumn it's a very autumn show uh, everything's orange mm-hmm. or gray or or dark but um yeah, I this uh, the soulful style, the ragtime, and and how nonsensical and bizarre the school the school teacher. All right, students, time to teach you about school. Oh, but Jimmy Ray left me, so <laughs> here's the song of A to Z. Everything that I feel about him, but he was a gorilla and who was just trying to propose to her the whole time. 
that's what this shows. I liked that character a lot. Uh, Hannah and I mentioned it the last time we were here. She has like a Scarlett O'Hara vibe where she's like, you'll get lost lost like I was when Jimmy left me and like that I agree that the creators had to have so much fun sitting around a table and creating this story because they really could go anywhere into the unknown with with these different characters and like you said from the costumes to the songs I mean what a fun project for these people to be working on. I don't know how they did it. it. You said the word intricate earlier someone did and that's a perfect word for it and intricate and precise and these odd off the wall songs that like you can't they're impossible to get stuck in your head almost because they don't have a traditional they're not they're so traditional and yet untraditional and but when you like the the openings music to every episode just sweeps you into every episode or swept me into every episode i felt like i was being blown by a breeze like into the same world as all the characters uh, and i felt like i was dying like i felt like i was entering with the music remember dawson we uh remember how we referenced anthology films a few episodes ago um and i couldn't name like a recent anthology film that i'd seen but now i can't on netflix um the ballad of buster scruggs it was nominated yes. for an oscar um it did have a narrow theatrical run uh, but did you see that? I love that one of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, I just had a bit of that kind of vibe too, a bit of a Coen Brothers flavor. Yes. And when the when the frog started singing, because this this mute frog who's naked and that's a big deal, and then starts singing and everything's good now, um, so dreamlike. Uh, he uh, that he made me think of Tom Waits, who's in Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I don't know who voiced the singing voice of the frog, but his voice was incredible and that song was amazing. I, I thought, I yeah, was, I, all, was all of this just like, eh, bizarre to you guys? Or, well, I saw a YouTube I video. Yeah, someone said that was Tom Waits, but I don't think it was. It's credited to a guy named Jack Jones who voices Gregory's frog on the show. Um, but it mm. sounds like Tom Waits. I'm not like a Tom Waits stan by any means. I, I I'm not. I mean, I like him, but <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know a hipster the yeah. same way that other people are no i i really enjoyed this show i i it didn't Hannah, quite move me to tear I, a little bit i suppose at the end but like i never got moved to tears right. i knew what they could have done to move me to tears but then they didn't do it yeah. it could get me there on a rewatch i yeah what you hannah jody um is this like profound or is it just sort of like passable well, I don't think for me to be moved to tears, it's really those like power ballad Elsa moments that it takes for me to get to that point. But I will say it the second time it was more touching because like I mentioned before we started recording, I sort of read into some of the symbolism that these creators put into it and how, you know, at the beginning it's crisp fall, but by the end it's almost winter time and how like they're actually moving towards death and that if they were to get to the end of the cold winter like that would be dying and just how the season change is like, like supposed to be that and uh, there's like a lot of different theories that I read about that made me feel a lot more emotional towards it because I just think you know the passage of time and then death and things like that it, it's an emotional thing but no not not to tears not to tears mm. and I don't think Hannah cried either yeah I'm a brick wall I never cry at movies <laughs> I 
Beatrice style. Yeah, I definitely think she was, and like Wirt was very um, relatable to me as well. Like just kind of that like, eh, like every, everything's going to crazy town. Um, okay, I just wanted to ask you guys, have you ever heard of this book called Silly Tilly's Thanksgiving Dinner? Because I felt like the characters like in particular the frog that Dawson was talking about almost belong in the world of this book. Mm. Um, it's just like very interesting to me that it's such a exact style that they use in the show. That's so not modern. Like you don't see mm-hmm. shows that look like that. Um, I know 2014 was quite a while ago, but still like what and I just felt like that's like a book that I read in like the 90s and it fits so much better with the theme yes I I have not read the book that you pointed out but you held it up and showed the picture and I'm like I I understand immediately like that tone um sort of like a Beatrix Potter wind in the willows uh very much the way that the animals dress uh and yeah wearing the what's what is that white hat that ladies wear that is like frilly is the bonnet i mean not the like cone shape bonnet but like well i think she's wearing it on the yeah yeah that's a bonnet that's also called the bonnet okay and then the like (laughs) the poofy the poofy dresses that look like really thick and warm and cozy the berenstein bear sort of i don't know you're talking about like 18th century which is totally that like the berenstein bear hats yeah 18th. Pretty sure. Mm. Oh, okay. I love the courting yeah. song so yeah. much. I'm sorry. Which song? The courting song that the like leader hosen oh, guys, oh, the old man with the oh. fence, almost yodeling vibrato sings about getting married. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love this style of music. I just love, yeah. I lo- it's, it's subtle and. I don't I, remember the courting song. The, was that? That wasn't. Excuse me? Huh? I was wondering if you knew the way. Uh, I mean, I, I'm. her name is Adelaide, and. Oh, it's a girl you're after, eh? No, I mean, yes, but. Oh, 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 oh you're not the witless, simple minded fool everybody takes you for. Everyone thinks I'm. You're the young lover. What? Young lover? No. If you uh, really want to get with this Adelaide gal. I, I don't. I, I mean. Well, I, here's I, what you do. Write a loving letter, boy, that swoops and sweeps and curls. Calligraphers are just a thing to help you win your girl. Then you'll need to dress up smart, the tailor's here by chance. To stitch your trousers, hold your belt, and find culture of friends. Your shoes, my goodness, how they're worn, but you're too young to know. Nothing courts a woman's scorn more than scuffs on the toe. The cobbler can attend to that, meanwhile you must have cake. The baker and patissier need work, for goodness sake. Hi, dee diddly um the dum today. What a merry time we'll have upon your wedding day. Hi, dee diddly um the dum today. There's work for all when little boys get married. <laughs> no, 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 no. You guys, I, I'm not getting married. I'm just trying to find that pointy cone upon oh, your no, head. Please, you can't be wearing that. I was going to say, I think because Dawson comes from like, I mean, and Hannah too, that musical theater background where like any emotion like warrants a big number, like a, a song to be had. I think that's why that kind of bodes over well with them because they like that sort of thing. Whereas I kind of like it, like I was saying, a little more planned. Like I want the build up. I want Elsa riding across the river before the song starts. Whereas like 
these people are singing about molasses and potatoes yes, yes. and I'm not really and sure I, <laughs> I'm not really like, sure if it's the time for a musical number but uh, I mean to some people it's always time so the setup of potatoes and molasses they're at a school where uh, this school teacher who has already bursted into song out of nowhere about all the reasons she's sad because Jimmy Ray has left her. And then Beatrice is like, this lady's got a lot of baggage. <laughs> um, and then it cuts to mealtime where all the animals are sitting at this very sad school lunch and they're eating bland potatoes and they suck. And the teacher is playing a very sad song. And there's a picture of Jimmy Ray above the piano. Um, and the kid is looking for a way to make things better. And there just so happens to be a big jug of molasses sitting on the piano. So he grabs the molasses, starts pouring it on the potatoes and sings a song called Potatoes and Molasses. It, it's so broken. Like the whole show, everything that happens in it is so broken and non sequitur. Um, and well, yes, he, I, and I do he, love that. Like there is no Elsa riding the canoe across the lake. There's Wirt goes into a tavern says a word, an old guy says, you want to get married? Sings a song about why he should get married. Okay, and, that was one of the tavern numbers. Because I, yeah. I love the tavern sequence. That was great. And then, But like the molasses and potatoes starts off with Greg going over the piano and mashing on it, right? Yeah. And, he said, uh, play it more like this. <laughs> and then she kind of matches him. But, but it's still... And then all the animals pull out instruments they're from nowhere they've all got <laughs> trombones and bassoons they're trained and... yeah they're trained to, you know to play music yeah they're anthropomorphic animals none of them really talk it's only a random points when animals are capable of speaking. the horse in endicott's mansion last friday the concept of anthropomorphic frogs was given a whole new meaning as well with the advent of this passenger character in the mandalorian so oh and dawson yeah. i wonder we probably better not get started on that but um i i found that fascinating well all i'll say about that is that in that episode there were two aliens that were just big earth animals yeah. and so that bothered me yeah i was all for like the the nickname just referring to this alien as like a frog that was kind of hilarious yeah. but i hope that isn't like canon that oh this species is literally just a frog because <laughs> george lucas may already made that joke about yoda's species so that's been played yeah. um I, they should come up with something original and then just use the frog thing as a nickname because there's already been a bunch of little regular old frogs in the mandalorian that we've seen and yoda eats uh, baby yoda eats them as a delicacy <laughs> we know there are ducks and frogs in the star wars universe yeah <laughs> but anyway ducks um the the tavern sequence the highwayman song i love that the dance that he does it's very coco the clown from the the old max uh, fleischer cartoons if you've seen those like those early rotoscoped um black and white cartoons never and then never there, you got more sort of direct referencing that era of animation with the um the dream you know oz sequence that greg goes through um, yeah his little dream episode eight would that be or no no was that episode that, seven that or eight been, yeah because episode nine is the big turn where you know it it starts out in the real world um but yeah prior to that I, it's uh the big twist of greg you know in that uh that dreamscape and ultimately 
you know, having to decide if he wants to sacrifice himself for work. Um, a dream within a dream. Yeah. I, interesting. Just uh, there were so many influences on the show. It's not even kind of worth trying to list them all. I, th- I feel like the creators just sort of had a lot of ideas that obviously were influential to them and then just kind of came up with this as, as a bit of a, a nostalgic stew, but, but, but a bit of a, a well thought out and, and cohesive sort of stew. Cohesive is a loose word to use regarding. Well, it, it, um, it's cohesive in that it does have a, an intention to, about it. You know, it's yeah. not just totally random. It's not random for randomness sake. Yeah. This is unlike anything I typically watch, honestly. This is not really my genre, this weirdness, but I was saying what makes it unique and what makes it stand out to me is that it's not weirdness for weirdness sake. Like you just said, there's there's sort of like a reason for all of these bizarro things to be happening. Another thing that really caught me was the innocence of the characters. I know we sort of talked about this, but when you do get a glance at them in their real world or they're like, yeah, their their real world essentially. And they're talking about uh, adult beverages. And then does he say, you mean like fruit juice or something like that? The 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 one-liners that they throw in, they kind of keep you on your toes. Like it's a smart little script that they have. This little party that Sarah is planning on going to with a bunch of the classmates, you know, they're she makes it clear that they're only going to be consuming age-appropriate beverages. Like juice. Yes. <laughs> sort of winking, winking at the camera. And sort of, um, obviously, we're not going to be up to any, you know, shenanigans. Uh, but of course, who knows? <laughs> they might actually be planning on uh, imbibing a little bit, getting up to some mischief, which is only kind of natural for uh, kids in that, <laughs> of that age group. Um, but some great subversions surrounding like that character, the Futter, Funderburker, Jason Funderburker. <laughs> You're expecting a jock. And then. Yeah, he's um, Wirt's competition for asking out Sarah. And like, as soon as he finds out that, you know, word on the street is that Jason Funderburker is going to ask Sarah out. He's like, he just immediately resigns to the fact that he's, He's going to be uh, <laughs> out of luck, shall we say. I think um, that whole situation is a good development in Wirt's character because it makes you realize not just then, but kind of like throughout the show that he really leads his life through like assumptions yeah. and through almost what he expects negatively is going to happen to him completely um overtakes his decisions and he almost like won't think because he's so worried about like what's to come which is a super relatable part of his character like how many times have you made a decision that might have been like the wrong decision quote unquote because you were afraid of what was going to happen or like who wasn't going to like you yeah no none of the characters thought so low of him as he thought they did and like, oh, I'm not going to the party. I wasn't invited. They didn't want me. And then when he shows up, they're like, oh, we hoped you'd be here. It's awesome. This is super relatable. 
Yeah, he has a hard time staying present. He just sort of lives in his head just way too much. With poetry and clarinet. Yeah, yeah, he likes his poetry. He records a audio cassette for Sarah. And I, I don't know, if, <laughs> we've probably all been there where like we make certain gestures out of you know, infatuation or love or romance and it's of passion. <laughs> it, and then we realize either it does get misinterpreted or we then realize after the fact, oh crap, this is so not going to be received the way it was intended. And and I guess we never got to see whether, you know, he Sarah could have listened to the tape and totally thought it was awesome. But, uh, you know, there's always that fear. It's just not going, it's just such a vulnerable place for, for work. Was there anything with this show that you guys, because I mean, I think we've talked about sort of our favorite parts and favorite characters. Was there anything to you that didn't work or kind of took you out of the world or was it all smooth enough that you felt like you were able to go with it? Did you watch it? And, and I guess also, did you watch it all in one sitting or did you watch it episode here, episode there? So two questions. I watched it all in one sitting and I thought it was pretty immune from doing anything that would take me out of it because anything that could have happened, like could happen, did happen sort of, it was just, it was so unpredictable and off the wall that I, I don't know if anything could have happened to make me go, well, I don't buy it anymore. I'm no longer. Yeah. It costs, it costs two cents to get across the river. I'm out. Yeah. No. You held a benefit concert for a school <laughs> in the middle of the unknown and raised millions of coins. Gold coins. Gold coins. The mansions were so big, they connected to each other. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that was kind of a random episode. It, it jumped in sort of media res and you're like, well, did I miss something? The, the Endicott mansion episode? Yeah, yeah, that was intentional. Moncleese's performance and his character's animation was so outstanding. The way he was like, <laughs> madness. <laughs> his eyes kept changing. That was really well done. There was a bit of skepticism on my part during the school town episode, just because it seemed so bizarre, you know, the, the animals and the just kind of random situations with the teacher who's apparently scorned. And, and then his, her uh, fiance just ends up coming back in the end in this gorilla costume. I mean, all that stuff was, I mean, it, it was kind of cool how they landed that at the end, but like really took a lot of, it was subversion after subversion after subversion. It was like, here's the school teacher and the, and the owner of the school is a tyrant. And then you find out that he's not a tyrant. He's a sad mm-hmm. guy who wants to do what's best for the school and raise money. And then, they're all running away from a gorilla for some reason and she's mourning the loss of her love and then the gorilla appears and it's just her love working for the circus mm-hmm. trying to raise money to buy a ring and it all ends very happily and makes absolutely no sense i love things that don't make sense when they're good i, I sometimes i hate things that don't make sense but this show was not something i hated that didn't make that sense. that was the most like alice in wonderland-esque to me and when once you get over that hump um and it's good but like if you're able to accept that then you just totally buy into the rest of the series that's the perfect i can't believe i didn't think of that in the beginning this is definitely a down the rabbit hole story Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good comparison uh i didn't think about that either something i really thought about with this story is it's like very harry potter haunted mansion vibes um Almost like if they were more less animated, they could totally be on that Haunted Mansion ride. Like, 
not their outfits all per se, but like the atmosphere is so particular of what it is. And the music, the intro mm-hmm. song, literally. Yeah, I think it has that gothy old school vibe to it. And like Dawson said, with the with the Victorian outfits and things like that, it does sort of make you think of Haunted Mansion, at least the ride version. Yeah. Very mournful and melancholy, and mm-hmm. um, it doesn't really make me think of any Eddie Murphy, but yeah, the ride for sure. The, the ride. <laughs> yeah, grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. So, have you guys seen? I know that we all sort of finished the series and uh, maybe haven't had a chance to look, but did they ever say with the success of this one if they ever wanted to do a second season of the show? It was a critical and box office, box office. I don't know. I don't think commercial, commercial success, critical and commercial success. Don't know anything about a second season. One, two enemies. I think that would be dumb to do a second season. Yeah. I was going to say, I really like that. There's a hard ending to it. Like, I don't think I like, I would love to see more of their misadventures, but I don't think I need to because it just sits so well with the way it ties up at the end. Um, have you ever heard of Jean Hillard from Minnesota, The Frozen Woman? No, tell us about <laughs> it. On the night of December 20th, 1980, 19-year-old Jean Hilliard's car hit the ditch and she tried to walk for help, but she was found in the morning in the front yard of a local cattle rancher, frozen solid as a log. Um, and that's just what happens story? in uh, basically, but uh, this is something that actually happened uh, one night in Minnesota in the dead of winter, December 20th, 1980, um, about 10 minutes from Langby, Minnesota. Uh, and she, this, the body of a young woman who that was frozen stiff was brought to the Faustin Hospital, the city where Jody, you and I grew up, and Dawson as well. Later that day, she thawed and woke up. <laughs> um, well, there's rumors, yes. not to hop on your story, but there's rumors that there are like very rich people who choose to be frozen <laughs> because there is that myth that there may one day in the future be an opportunity to revive these brains or bodies so that's bizarre is, that it happened are you not, sure it's not one of those rich people our very own walt disney it is <laughs> i didn't know if i was going to be right or wrong by dropping his name but yes i think disney is one of those people who pays every year to keep his body preserved I, it says i guess she lay for six straight hours her eyes frozen wide open she doesn't remember any of that um the cattle rancher was a friend of hers, uh, huh. Wally Nelson. And uh, Nelson still lives in Clearbrook, Minnesota, as of this uh, article. Um, this article is from uh, 2018 on NPR News, Minnesota Public Radio. Well, that's just bizarre because you hear stories. I mean, whether you're religious or not is almost irrelevant when it comes to this because these stories are all over the globe throughout time of people who come to a point in their life, like a a severe trauma where they could have died or whatever. And they see they, they have these experiences, whether it be warmth or a light or 
a feeling and it's, I mean, it's pretty much universal what these stories are like. Mm -hmm. And I mean, granted, no one has given like an over the garden wall experience, but everyone wonders at some point what that will be like, whether, you know, it's going to be heaven or you get reborn or nothing. Um, so that's, I mean, that just gives another level to the show too. I mean, the story of that woman who died and came back to life, kind of, it's just, it's curious. Currently lives in Cambridge, Minnesota. And I don't think she just says it's like I fell asleep and woke up in the hospital. She didn't have any kind of, um, you know, existential episode. You hear about people who stay alive from being frozen by being drunk. That like mm-hmm. they're what? Yeah, like I've heard of that before. College students drunk will be walking home, fall down in the snow, and like go unconscious and basically freeze from hypothermia. But their the alcohol in their body keeps them warm enough. Yeah, because it heats you up. Yeah, the alcohol isn't as responsive to uh, temperature fluctuations as water does. It has a well, and like it's in your bloodstream, so it's like actively like messing with your has a lower freezing point than water does so it stays liquid for longer so stay so the key to this was a whirlwind anyways (laughs) Uh, does it say here had she consumed alcohol maybe um but still still pretty stunning in case and yes you know freezing can preserve things you know people um you know biological matter it would have to be done in such a precise way to like not kill you after a while yeah like the whole disney thing um it is kind of hilarious that uh, you know prior to 2013 if you were to google search disney frozen it would just be a whole list of articles related to you know speculation on walt disney's frozen corpse um so very fortuitous that they ended up releasing a movie called frozen that ended up being the biggest thing ever (laughs) maybe that was their reason for making a movie called frozen they were like sick of people (laughs) googling and being like oh we got to protect his legacy like we got to make this blockbuster video that will show up on the google search above walt's big burial (laughs) that might have factored into why they gave it that title uh, you never know. <laughs> um, so these, uh, to get back to Over the Garden Wall and away from Disney, because like I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what these people ended on, up working on after it? Do they keep continuing working on series or have they ever worked on movies, um, the directors and animators of this? He's, um, I guess the lead creator, Patrick McHale. I'm sure he's done other Cartoon Network stuff since then. I think he still works on Adventure Time um, as of 2017. Let's see. I uh, Or no, 2018, I'm seeing is the latest episode where he's credited as the writer, Blananas. Um, and then he's working on the screenplay for Pinocchio. That'll be good. That's uh, Guillermo del Toro? Yeah, doing the Disney live action adaptation for Pinocchio. No way. Your note said something about uh, Katie Krenz, a, who helped create the show. 
Oh, yeah. She's an executive more so. Like she, I think, got her start primarily as a, as a colleague of Seth MacFarlane's on uh, Family Guy. And of course, when that show blew up, like everyone on that show just got, you know, rich. Got a, a, a ton of, well, I was going to say just a ton of opportunities to really be pioneers uh, in television animation. Um, including um, Katie Krentz, uh, who, yeah, I think was instrumental in getting this uh, Over the Garden Wall produced. Um, I'm not sure how much creative influence she had, um, but it was a, a very um, novel decision to make this into a miniseries. I, apparently, this was the first ever Cartoon Network miniseries. Oh. Yeah, I mean... Because typically a miniseries being defined as there's only one season. Yeah, I mean, they had... It had gone through several iterations from the initial pitch, which occurred in 2006. Uh, Patrick McHale originally envisioned the idea in, 20, in 2004. So it was like a 10-year process from conception to completion. Uh, but he made the pitch at Cartoon Network in 2006 and went through a few stages before they ultimately settled on a 10-episode miniseries. Uh, they, they were maybe going to do 18, but eventually just condensed it down to 10 and gave it just as much kind of TLC as they had to in order to make it you know, into the, this sort of piece of prestige television it ultimately became. Yeah, it was probably a good idea. I mean, I, it, it has a lasting legacy and to try to stretch it out even more might have been a bit um, presumptuous. It did have, there was that sort of pilot short film called Tome of the Unknown. Did you guys watch that? Mm-mm. Okay. No, but I read about it a little bit. Um, I'd be interested in seeing it. Is it the same tone yeah. that we're seeing in this? Yeah, it, it's not kind of continuous with this, but it, you know, it's certainly very similar. The animation style to me looks basically identical. Uh, and it's, it's similar to the second, the second episode that's Huskin B that's um, with the, vegetable people <laughs> um it, it's it's kind of similar to that episode with uh, a lot of characters that are have like pumpkin heads um a lot of animals uh that, that are you know humanoid still fairly nonsensical um but yeah if none of you guys watched it that's okay it's just sort of a primer on what this, uh, it's very short. It's only like six minutes long. The, and the whole theme of like into the unknown is very prevalent in that short film. It really stresses like these are two kids going on just kind of a madcap adventure to try to find what they refer to as the tome of the unknown, basically the, the book of the unknown. Um, and so their object is to get lost in order to find what they need, they, they literally have to get lost. And that's kind of a theme that I enjoy seeing in, in narrative. Into the woods. 
Mm. Is, do they literally say that in Into the Woods? Like, uh, no, I think my contribution to the Thoughtcast is just to scream out <laughs> random things and hope that everyone knows what I'm saying. Uh, the musical Into the Woods, they're searching for something. There's, Never mind. Yeah, there's some stories, though, where the plot literally has a moment where, like, the characters realize, oh, in order to find what I need, I must get, I must first get lost, you know? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's not Into the Woods. Disregard. No, the, I, I, there's Quick lines edit. explicitly about that in, in Into the Woods. I know there is. Um, it's like you have to take the journey to get the journey, like Into the Woods. You have to get the cow and then the corn and then the hair and yeah, in the woods. And get lost. Yeah, lost in the woods. <laughs> now I know you're my true north. Oh, Philip thought of another way to bring Frozen <laughs> back into this. Yeah. It is the podcast after all. We got to give him the credit with, with that. He can bring it up. But, mm-hmm. but an, avatar, uh, no, an avatar to find the path, they have to turn the lights off. They, That's right. They have to stop trying in order to, or like in... Uh, a devil's snare or Hermione when she goes in order to get in order to to fight them you have to stop fighting yep and then um yeah wicked fun but it sulks in the sun oh boy meal time this is way better than being chased by a gorilla oh what's the matter mm, kind of bland Hey, nobody ordered you to eat yet. Yeah, but... Mm. Hmm. Mm. Oh. Hey, I know what to do. Here, Miss Langtree, play something like this. Oh, like this? Uh, good enough. <laughs> oh, potatoes and molasses. If you want some... Just ask us the warm and soft Like puppies in socks Filled with cream and candy rocks Oh, potatoes and molasses They're so much sweeter than algebra class If your stomach is grumbling And your mouth starts mumbling There's only one thing to keep your brain from crumbling Oh, potatoes and molasses Anyway. Well, it's hard with this one because like you said, we don't usually go through a series and this one does have so many mini plot lines that it's not a typical recipe for talking about because it's more just like, what's the vibe you got overall? Because we can't really walk the listeners through every scene and every thought we might've had along the way. It's kind of just like, we took the mushroom fluff and kind of spewed back what we got from it. (laughs) Yeah, but it is certainly sort of a perfect balance between just totally abstract and also something you can kind of make sense of if you want to. You can find some good, like solid meaning. Uh, I think the most emotionally compelling part of this was the moments surrounding like the woodsman and his daughter and like her reveal at the end of the show. That I think to me was a really palpable moment. Uh, and Beast was lying to him the whole time. Yeah. The, the V creepy Beast. James Earl Jones. The Beast was always lingering in the background. Yeah, the the voice of the Beast is some actor I don't really recognize, but um, he had me convinced it was James Earl Jones (laughs) at some point. Yeah, 
Haney or something. Uh, Sh- Samuel Raimi is the voice of the Beast. Oh, the famous director. I don't. No, 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 oh. not that Sam Raimi. Not no. <laughs> you guys know so many names. Um, I was gonna say that like the Beast, as far as villains are concerned, is probably one of the most evil that that you see. Someone who has like a total disregard to the human spirit and like the the toils he's putting on everyone around him. I feel like a lot of times with villains, you can get like a, some type of humor. I guess maybe the opera singing is like the humor in it, but, but the beast is, is, is quite the character as far as an antagonist goes. He does sing opera. Any of you pause to catch a glimpse of him? You know, that one moment where the lamp flashes. I really wanted to, because it was freakish. Is he made out of like sticks or faces or what is he made out of? Yeah, it's like a tree with faces carved into it. Um, and it's it's almost sort of reddish, like... Like bloody meat Like faces. bloody, yeah. Um, it reminded me, like any kind of... Anytime there's a creature that has like other faces sort of... Or uh, other creatures like built into it. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, the face dealer. Well, there's sort of that. There's um, Envy from Full Metal Alchemist, where he's got all the little, uh, he's got the corpses that are like coming out of him when he's in his giant form. Um, there's the Cordo, uh, oh, from um, the, the Schwarzenegger movie, Total Recall, the, the dude who's <laughs> the alien who's in the stomach. Um, I wish I could remember um when whenever there's something like that it's almost as if this demon creature has like possessed other souls and taken them into his collection um so so these are like his victims aquato oh i i think of ursula and how she takes all the like little mermaids and turn them into those little grotto weeds she has her garden of like captives they're so exactly and scary yeah quato's the guy in the stomach from uh total recall um yeah and what imagine what it would be like to to be one of those souls that gets trapped i mean that that really is like uh, one of the purest depictions of like the metaphysical idea of hell you can't escape i don't know you I'm sure when you reach that point, your mind's just been so warped and corrupted into thinking, you know, making this deal with the devil is to your benefit. So I I think your conscious faculties at that point are somewhat receded, but it's still pretty horrific. Yeah. I think a parallel, another parallel to this show has it, have any of you seen uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared on YouTube? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but that sounds like an accurate depiction of me when people ask if I want to hug. What's it about? So, so that's something oh, <laughs> that's, it's purely abstract and it's almost purely cynical. Whereas this, it's very abstract. It's very sort of, it plays with a lot of classic fairy tale tropes. Um but it has a hopeful message ultimately. Whereas Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, it's supposed to be like uh, Sesame Street. You know, it's a parody of some of those kids shows with 
you know, furniture that comes to life and puppets and, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse or Bear in the Big Blue House type of uh, show aimed at little kids, except like there's some really macabre, like disturbing imagery that they throw in. And, and they also reference like the way that this is all just a, a total illusion. And um, it disintegrates into menace. It's very it on the nose. Um <laughs> There are several of these, but the first one was really viral, I, I think. Yeah. Um, it's about creativity and sort of, uh, what would you call it? A cynical take or, or a satirical. It's pretty nihilistic. Satirical take. Yeah. I, I don't think the intentions behind it were, were bad or... No, it, it, was trying to, it was trying to make some kind of point. <laughs> but, but like they point out, like the, just the corporate sensibility of a lot of popular entertainment, which is certainly a valid concern. But yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, this didn't feel corporate. This felt like these artists were allowed to tell exactly the story they wanted to tell. Yeah. Unless the ending, they were like, we want one of the kids to be dead. And they're like, no. And so they went, all right, fine. I don't think that would really fit tonally with the rest of the show, honestly. No, if, yeah. You, you need something more along the lines of like a Pan's Labyrinth to really pull off, you know, that... That's true. <laughs> that level of narrative uh, impact. Not to say that this was any less impactful than no, something it wasn't. like... No, it was almost, it was almost more impactful that like every time yeah. there was a horrific situation that could have ended very badly, it did end well. It didn't have a happy ending like yeah. every encounter along the way. How appropriate now, though, that the creator of this show is now working with the creator of Pan's Labyrinth on their next project. Deeply fitting. I'm a, I don't know if I have much more to say. No, exactly. Or... I, I want to hear more from, from the girls. Uh, Hannah, are you still with us? No. Uh, what, what are your final thoughts? Because I know you had to head out pretty soon. I think um, it was an unexpected, okay, this sounds so stupid, but like cutesy story that was grim yet relatable. And I thought that it was for, it was a lot more mature than kids shows, just like intellectually. And I thought it was a well-serving, smart kind of folklore thing that we don't see often. Like she used all the words that anyone can use to describe a show. So like now I'm at a loss. Like every trigger yeah. word or like clickbait word like has been used. <laughs> like I'm no, trapped. That's, that's accurate. <laughs> no, but it's accurate. It's good. But I, I agree. I, I stick with my thoughts from the beginning of the podcast to now. Like I, I love it. And I hope our listeners, I mean, I'm assuming if they've listened to us go on and on about this show, they've already seen the show. But if they haven't, I mean, I hope we've convinced you that it's worth the watch. Don't watch it with grandma unless your grandma's cool. Cause yeah, it's I, just like, you know, I don't get it. Turn it off after the first episode. That'll happen to a lot of people. And that's okay. Yeah. You, you see the ingredients from all the various touchstones within our sort of popular culture, but also classic literature as well. I guess how the two uh, complement one another, but, not to the point where this feels really derivative at all. I, I, I mean, as much as it is reminiscent of things like Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz or, I don't know, Stranger Things, which it predated, um, <laughs> it, uh, 
it really does feel like its own thing. So the, the creators, the artists were very successful um, at just developing something fully new and fully unique. It takes a bunch of ingredients and whips up a whole new cake you've never tasted before. Mm -hmm. Very pure and it'd be kind of fun to revisit this world and these characters, but um, I think the best way to go about that would be to just, you know, let this animated, this mini series exist on its own terms. And then if anything in the future, sort of, if they want to adapt into like a live action show or something along those lines, then, you know, it'd be i'd be curious to check it out yeah don't adapt it into a live action show please <laughs> i i am never one to like really discourage that because i almost feel like it's inevitable um but if it never happens it's not thanos <laughs> there's nothing inevitable inevitable about it let's take a really obscure <laughs> indie cartoon that can only exist as a cartoon and and um make a an inferior yeah. clay effigy of it or, or something yeah i don't know it. it'd be interesting to to really pay tribute to it in you know in a way that's fitting because i i also don't want this to the way to pay tribute to it in a way that's fitting is to watch it yeah and pay money for it it's on hbo max um so hopefully people are rediscovering it i just don't want it to be forgotten I don't know. So, I mean, I do think there's a, there's a pretty good cult like following still actively talking about this group because yeah. I jumped on like the wiki fandom mm -hmm. website. And I mean, people are still like coming up with theories and, and kind of discussing potential symbolism. So I don't think it's going anywhere. And I'm like kind of team Dawson. Like, I think this is one of those shows that it gives us everything we need and it's, it doesn't need maybe a follow-up and like we all kind of discussed, maybe not a sequel either. Maybe uh, the creators could give us, you know, the us to over the garden walls, get out, so to speak, like a spiritual successor. A spiritual successor, a tonal sequel. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that's the only, which is pres presumably what a lot of his work is. I mean, there was Tome of the Unknown, and then this was an expansion of that idea, it mm -hmm. sounds like. So there could easily be, mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So. Well, this was a little journey into the unknown, very fitting as approximately one year ago, we took a similar journey into the unknown. <laughs> so uh, we are all, I mean, I'm, I'm such a huge Frozen fan that I uh, was happy to see some of the parallels here. Yeah, it's a, it's a great show. Over the Philip Garden just Wall. said something about there being parallels between this and uh, Frozen. And I just want to be clear, there aren't any well there's the literal other than phrase. the into the unknown other than the literal phrase <laughs> no there are of course there are but i can't um the i mean both very awarded franchise of series i guess uh anyways um where can we find everyone on social media hannah you start um hannah smart on twitter and uh there you go. <laughs> That's where I've been the most active lately, for sure. Yeah, like I, I deleted everything because the election was like giving me hives. Um, so like catch me back here on the podcast until like the world decides it's it's okay. Um, so yeah, I'll be here. Right, Dawson. 
What's up, bros? I'm PewDiePie, and I'm the number one <laughs> subscribed to channel on YouTube. Check me out, PewDiePie. <laughs> Very good. And I'm Philip Elke. Uh, you can find me at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm the one who confused finding Nemo with finding Dory last episode. I referred to finding Dory when I meant finding Nemo as you. you know the film that had that knickknack short film premiere before it and there's probably any number of other corrections that i should probably make to um <laughs> referring back to previous episodes even referring to like christopher lloyd i think uh, hannah you you referenced the character of switchblade sam from dennis the menace as one of the most frightening characters you've ever uh seen you figured out my nightmares. <laughs> well, it's especially appropriate considering Christopher Lloyd was the voice of the woodsman here. Um, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, and of course, he was Rasputin, uh, referring back to another previous episode. Um, but I think that does it for us, the Thodcast. Find us at thodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. Or now just Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Yeah, just uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Dawson, Hannah, Jody. As always, have a magical day. Have a wonderful week. And warm hugs. If you drink a lot, your hugs will be warmer than usual. <laughs>